Good morning, family, once again. Hope everyone's having a great Sunday morning so far. Thank you for worshiping with us. We are continuing our series through the book of Acts. And just a reminder that out in the lobby, you can pick up one of these, which is just the book of Acts. It's got the scripture and then uh, pages that you can write on. Just if you want, if you're a note writer, keeper, you can grab those, keep all your notes in one place. A lot of people love it, so you can follow along with um, the series as we keep on going through this year through the book of Acts. Um, but let's go to the Lord in prayer before we, we dive in to his book. God, we pray for this time as we open up your word that you bring it to life in our minds and our hearts. As we look at this scripture that we see how it applies to us and see how you have been moving throughout time, see your great redemption plan played out before our eyes and realize we're part of that story. Lord, I just ask that you continue to work in us, continue to speak through me as I seek to lay out your scripture in a way that we can embrace and grow from. Lord, we love you. We seek you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Uncompromising men are easy to admire. That's one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite movies, the movie Braveheart. And it's this, it's this, it grabs me, it, it catches hold, this eye that uncompromising men and women, people who are devoted, dedicated to an ideal, they change the course of history. That They are moving forward no matter what, no matter what opposition that they might experience, these people have a huge impact that far surpasses who they are. Just think about your heroes or those big, big names within history and you see someone who is uncompromising, someone who's devoted to something. And to be devoted to something is to be dedicated, to be loyal, to be committed, to be unwavering. We use devotion and devoted to speak of parents who make sure their kids get the best of them. We use devoted to speak of Men and women in the military or our first responders or those people on the front lines of the medical field. We use devoted to those workers who make sure the task gets completed in the way it should be. Those craftsmen, maybe, who put themselves in their project to create. And many, many more. And when you look up devotion, devoted, it has those religious overtones as well because People are devoted to their God and they follow what God has called them to do. Devoted people are uncompromising, unwavering, and they're easy to admire. Chances are, if you think about your heroes, the people that really you know, inspire you, want to do, make you want to be better, you're, you're probably thinking about some people who are devoted to something. They're uncompromising. And since I'm a theology nerd, my, my heroes, people I look to, are these people who are uncompromising with the gospel, uncompromising with the word of God. They're devoted to the gospel and its spread. When I think of devotion, I think of people like George Whitfield, which was this evangelist uh, preacher, itinerant preacher in the 1700s, born in England, but he preached in the American colonies, and he had a great impact. So much so that they actually look at throughout history and say he was one of the key figures for this great awakening, this revival that took place in Britain and the American colonies at that time. When you look at him, his track record speaks for itself. He was devoted. For in 34 years of ministry, he preached 18,000 times. 
sometimes three sermons a day. It's estimated that he, uh, the 80% of the American colonies actually heard him preach because he was preaching so often. Now, to accomplish that, he made seven trips from Britain to the colonies. During that time, that's by boat, and so that equated to three years of his life spent on a ship, all because he was devoted to that singular task to declare the glories of his Lord. He died at the young age of 56, having spent everything he had for that task. His friends commented that he seemed like a man wrung out by God because he was singly devoted to his God, to Jesus to Christ. He's uncompromising. It's easy to admire. I look at him and I'm like, oh, just to be a little like that, how sweet it would be. But whether it's the star athlete that we look like that's putting untold hours in the gym or practice, or the person who has sacrificed so much to be the leader in his field, when we see these people we admire, most likely it's built on a life of devotion to their task. And so they're easy to admire because they're uncompromising in what they feel like they've been called to do. Well, when we open up the book of Acts, and as we're in the end of chapter 2, we don't just see one or two people who are devoted to God. We see the devoted church. So join me as we open up the book of Acts, and we're going to be in the last six verses of chapter 2. Just talking about the result, what happens after Pentecost, after Peter's sermon. And now it says this, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and any wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling the possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. We look at this and what is this passage talking about? It's talking about that devoted church. What is what's going on here, this passage starts with in they, the simple word they, and we have to say, well, who is it talking about? Well, it's talking about those people who now believe in Jesus Christ. Whether it's 120 plus some or it's the, the 3,120, all still together, these are this, this is the church. People who had who believed and responded to the gospel message that Peter had just presented, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit and worshiping together. It's a beautiful little cameo of the spirit-filled church being played out. And as they're spirit-filled and as they are grounded in the gospel, their relationships and how they see the world begin to change and how they relate to things begin to change as they see how God has called them to be devoted to his gospel. Because when the spirit reigns, believers go to the word of God for teaching. They look to the word for guidance and training and direction in their life. It's the final authority. When the Spirit reigns, believers come together in fellowship and purposeful relationships and communities to serve one another, to love one another, to care for one another. When the Spirit reigns, believers bow before God and worship. 
They know that they are living before the face of God and they know that they stand before God through Jesus Christ and so they come with praise and thankfulness and awe. When the Spirit reigns, believers speak to the world. They have to proclaim who Jesus is so that other people could respond. This is what this new community of faith was doing. They're devoted to what God had called them to do. Grounded on the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we could simply say the gospel-focused church is a devoted church. For once the gospel grabs hold of a community of faith, once the gospel grabs hold of someone, the gospel, the good news, that God loved us so much that he sent his son to live for us, the life that we could not live, to die for us, the death that we all deserve, to rise for us, showing us that he is truly God, then that the life that awaits us, the gospel, this good news, that is not by our own works, but by his grace, which we're saved. When that gospel grabs hold of a people, when it grabs hold of a church, they know and see what God is calling them to do and they become a devoted church. The gospel-focused church is a devoted church. And that's what we see in Acts 2. And we can say, well, what are they devoted to? And it lays it out clearly. So let's look at what this church is devoted to and how we, too, should be moved and see how God is working in our lives. It starts out with, and they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the teaching of the apostles. So we see that this is a learning church. That the apostles were teaching them the truth of who God is and who Jesus was using the Old Testament, using Jesus' teaching, using their own experiences and their own walking with the Lord. They were teaching the disciple, the, these new disciples, who God was and how Jesus is their Lord. And they were authenticated, their teaching was authenticated, you might say, by these many signs and wonders that were going on in this early church. Just like Jesus' teachings, when he taught something and he performed miracles, his miracles and signs authenticated his teaching to the people, showing that he truly was God. And so when the apostles taught and these signs and wonders accompanied it, we see it authenticating their ministry, showing they truly had God, they had the Holy Spirit, and so people should listen and, and pay attention. It's proof that we're speaking on the behalf of God. But it's interesting, these are, these are the, the new disciples, they're the new believers, and they were filled with the Spirit, but yet they were learning. So often, sometimes, people want to pit book learning or learning about God versus being filled with the Spirit. Like, somehow, these are two different things. People sometimes say, well, we don't need to plan, we don't need to study, we're filled with the Spirit, we have our own teacher, the Spirit, and that's true. The Spirit does illuminate the Bible to our minds and our hearts. The Spirit does guide us in the truth. The Spirit does take all the teachings of Jesus Christ and now show us the truth of it. But yet, there is no tension within this early church. These are believers filled with the Holy Spirit. But what did they do? They sat at the feet of the apostles, hungry for instruction, hungry to grow and actually know how to apply what Jesus has done to their life and how that would change them that they knew the Holy Spirit worked through his apostles speaking, expounding upon God's word. And so they knew they needed to learn it and grow in it. And we need to have that same desire, that same appetite, that we should crave to know and learn about God. 
We should crave to see him in his word, knowing and trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to be illuminating, working in our hearts and our minds to understand it and apply it. But we need to know who he is and go to his word to know God and grow in his ways. The gospel-focused church is a devoted church, devoted to growing and learning who God is. We'll also see this church was not just devoted to the apostles' teaching, but it was also devoted to the fellowship. This was a loving church. They were devoted to each other. It's interesting that it says the fellowship. It's not just a fellowship, a gathering, a kind of fun little social gathering, but the fellowship, the unique gathering of all the saints together following God. They were devoted to gathering together, loving every one another. I'm going to say this fellowship was intense. It's pretty radical when you read about it. For they were selling their possessions. They were holding everything in common. When they saw a brother and sister in need, they provided for them. They loved and cared for each other so much that they were seeking to take care and make sure everyone had what they needed. It was a true fellowship, a true family that took care of each other. Have you ever experienced like a fellowship like that? I've had taste of it. Growing up, we, my family was part of a, um, a small house church, and it was just like three other families, and it was, you know, it's not just me on Sunday mornings, but we were always together. It's like, I think that's our only friends that we had, but it was an intense fellowship. When I went off to college, I, I spent uh, three, uh, two years, really, in a house with 11 other guys. It's an old triplex that didn't have the doors that separated the triplex anymore, but 11 other guys, all believers, most in the same ministry. And so we ministered together, we went to church together, we pulled pranks on girls together. It was a fellowship where we were in each other's lives because we were 11 guys in the house. We had no choice but to be in in each other's lives. But it's a true fellowship where we loved each other, cared for one another, fought together, but we were there for each other. If you've ever experienced a fellowship like that, it changes you. If you ever lose a fellowship like that, you long for it and you know you desire it. Yet now, that kind of fellowship goes against the grain of our culture. We want our privacy. We want to do things just on our own. We want to keep people at arm's length. And I understand. I get it. I'm a natural introvert, kind of shy. I'd rather just read a book than talk to anyone. But that's not how we were made that they loved each other, and that when a community grasped the gospel, they realized they were in this together. Not only the fact that people needed them to be in their lives, but that they needed people to be in their lives. That you, as a believer, were not made to be alone. You were made for Christian fellowship. And this fellowship operated in real concrete ways as they gave of themselves for each other. They had generosity for one another. They sold stuff to provide for those in need. This is not saying they had to. This was not under compulsion. This was a spontaneous um, caring, act of love and caring that these people had to say, hey, I had something extra, and so I can provide for someone in need. And so they took care of each other. But it was showing a generosity that they looked at their lives and they lived it with an open hand, knowing that God had blessed them and given them stuff. And so they lived it with an open hand, knowing that they can give to others for their benefit so they, they could be taken care of. Opening their homes, opening 
their lives to one another. The Pastor John Stott says this, he says, Christian fellowship is Christian caring, and Christian caring is Christian sharing. The idea that when we love each other, when we're in a fellowship with each other, we carry for each other, and we share with one another our lives with one another. We need to have this same love and caring for each other. We need to have this concern for one another. Here at River Valley, we kind of pride ourselves on being a family, and we are. When people walk in, first-time guests, what's the most common comment? Man, you guys are really a family. They, they feel the connectedness and the love here, but we need to love each other and love each other well so that we're not just doing that on a Sunday morning, but we're loving each other and caring for each other in those real and practical ways so that we can start growing together. Maybe it starts in a small group. Maybe it starts in, in those relationships you might have. But we love each other and care for each other, open our homes and our lives to one another. Because a funny thing happens when the gospel grabs hold of your life. You realize it's no longer about you. That now you're part of a community that calls you, that God calls you to be part of a community to honor him and grow. The gospel-focused church is a devoted church devoted to each other this is also a worshiping church it says they devoted themselves not only to the apostles teaching or the fellowship but to the breaking of the bread and the prayers it's interesting when you look at that it says the breaking of the bread and the prayers which leads most people say this is probably probably talking about celebrating the lord's supper which probably at that time was celebrated in a larger kind of meal they would have a, a meal together but then would do something like we did this morning where they remembered jesus words at that last supper and it's probably talking about prayer meetings not this private prayer because it was talking about the prayers this is what they were devoted to these elements of worship this was a worshiping church and notice that it happened in the temple and in their homes you could say formal and informally, this worshiping together was taking place. They gathered together, which we could call the institutional worship, which at that time the focus was the temple. They gathered together in the temple courtyard probably, worshiping Jesus together. And then whether informally or in spontaneous manners, they would do the same thing in each other's homes. You could almost say they had church in small group. That's why we do it. But they worship together. It's funny because they never tried to push or see a tension between this formal church and this informal gathering. They never saw a tension there that some people want to form, formulate today. I've come across so many people who maybe they've been hurt by church or maybe they just something's happened in the past and they say, well, maybe I don't need to do church. I can do church with my family or I can be involved in a small group or like a Bible study with some other fellow Christians or I can do all those things, but I don't need church. And they pit that against each other. But I don't, see we, I don't think we see that in Scripture because all those things they're talking about doing, they're great and we should be doing it. Yes, worship as your family. Yes, gather with other believers and have Bible study. Yes, have those relationships and have those gatherings, but never think that somehow that informal gathering somehow negates the benefits, and you might even say the necessity of gathering together with the larger body to grow together. That they were together in the, in, in the temple and in each other's homes. And notice the attitude they had when they were gathering worship. They had reverence, 
and they had joy. We see the joy in the statements like how they were partaking of their meals together with glad and generous hearts. They had this true joy because they knew the gospel. They knew the fact that they were saved by grace and grace alone. They knew the fact that Jesus had come and gave his life for them, and so they were filled with joy. When you know the creator of the cosmos loves you so much that not only did he knit you together in your mother's womb, not only did he outline the plan of your life and make plans to benefit you and grow you, not only that, but he loved you so much that he would send his son to live for you and die for you so that you could have a relationship with him. When you know that fact, how can you not have joy? And so they gather together and they praise with joy, worshiping God for what he had done in them, the salvation that he had achieved for them through Jesus Christ, which means that they didn't see worship as something that was dull, which means we shouldn't see worship as something that's dull, which means we should never make worship something that is boring, for it should be joyous, filled with delight that we can come together and praise our Father. But they also had reverence. In Acts 2, we see how the all the people, it says, all came upon every soul as they saw what, what was happening in this early church. They were filled with awe. God was in their midst. God was moving. They knew the gospel and the realities of what that meant for the life. They were filled with awe where they saw how much God loved them and how he had moved heaven and earth for them and to save them. And they were filled with this awe about what he was doing and who he is. Which means we should never think that awe and joy don't go together in worship. Sometimes churches seem to focus on one or the other, right? Maybe, maybe that's just my experience. We go to a church and maybe it feels, maybe not my style, but maybe more formalistic and they really focus on this awe and that you're standing before the creator and that's good. But it needs to be balanced on this maybe more, hey, this is a joyous occasion as we remember and rejoice in who God is and who the salvation we have in his son. They go together. And this shows us this balance that we need to have in our worship it should be formally together, all together. It should be in our homes and with our smaller groups. It should be filled with joy. It should be filled with awe. The gospel-focused church is a devoted church, devoted to worshiping their God. And this was also a proclaiming church. They were evangelistic. And we see this because we see the results of happens when this church gathered together, when this church is praising God, when they're learning together, when they're worshiping together, when they're caring together. What does it say? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The early church wasn't so preoccupied with worshiping, learning, and each other that somehow they forgot their mission. They knew what they were called to do to proclaim Jesus. Pastor John Sott says this, he says, The Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit who created a missionary church. The church sought to spread this, proclaim this. But notice some things about this proclaiming. It says, The Lord added to their numbers daily. Jesus did this. God did this. 
God is in charge of the one who changes hearts. God is the one who transforms people. God is the one who takes sinners and makes them saints. This doesn't say, hey, somehow through a campaign or a program, they brought people to know Christ. No, it says God added to their numbers that Jesus did this as he reached into people and made them respond to the gospel message and that they came and they, they heard the message through the apostles and responded to it, which gives us great comfort. Because when we read this, we say, it's not about how well I can articulate the gospel. It's not how winsome I can be, though we should ha- be able to articulate it well and we should be really winsome. No, it's, it's God doing this as he's responsible for changing people's hearts and minds to respond to him. Which also not just gives us comfort, but it gives us confidence. The confidence that when we do share the gospel, God is at work and he can do it which makes us really confident because we're no longer confident in ourselves, but we're confident in our Lord, who's Lord over all. And so all, this says all those who were saved, they added to the numbers daily, those who are being saved, which again shows that salvation and being together in the fellowship go hand in hand. That when you become a Christian, when the gospel grabs hold of your life, you should be in the Christian fellowship. This actually leaves no room for those people who maybe come to church and don't believe and maybe just maybe take on the name of Christian just because that's traditionally how their family has described themselves. And it doesn't leave any room for, for those who call themselves Christian but then go low ranger it out by themselves. This says, no, Christians are called to be together in this, this fellowship, worshiping together. And this, this ministry of proclaiming, this activity of proclaiming who Jesus is, happen on a frequent and regular basis. Because it said the Lord added to their numbers daily, which means that this was not sporadic. This was not occasional. That the, the people who believed did not just occasionally speak the truth of the gospel and proclaim it, but yet they practiced it on a regular basis as people and people responded to it as the Lord was moving. Because praise and proclamation are the natural outflow of a heart that is grabbed by the Holy Spirit, grounded in truth of the gospel. We need to have that same outflow to proclaim the truth to to anyone who would hear and have that comfort and confidence that when we do it, God is going to be at work. The gospel-focused church is a devoted church, devoted to the spread of the gospel. So we read this, and we can ask the natural question, how about us? Sometimes we read this and we say, well, that's good for them. That's the early early church. They just experienced Pentecost. They just saw something fantastic. They just probably had one of the greatest sermons ever preached to them by Peter himself. Of course they're going to be doing these things. And we can think that's somehow distant from us. But when we read this, we have to ask ourselves, don't we have the same Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. And when we think about this and think about what they were learning, and we're like, well, they just had the Old Testament and the and, and teachings of Jesus passed down by the apostles where we have the completed Bible in our hands. Well, I have probably 40 in my office that are just sitting there that we can read and we can study and we can know who God is. And we think about what motivated him and say, well, they had the same gospel as we had. 
that Jesus who saved them is the same Jesus as ours, ours that he's the same Lord. So if all these things are the same, shouldn't we at least look a little like how they looked and operated how this spirit field grounded in the gospel church operated? So we ask, how about us? Are we learning? What, are you, what do you fill your head with? It's a good question to ask for that. Is it Netflix, Hulu, all those other things? I understand. I like those things too. But what do we fill our minds with? What are we pursuing? The fact is that we study what we love. Get a new hobby, a new interest. I'm willing to bet you're looking up articles on the internet, watching YouTube videos. You're studying those things because you're interested in them and you love them. When we like someone, you know, in that kind of wink, wink, romantic way, we study them, do we not? I'm willing to bet that some of you, when you found your significant other, got downright stalkerish on how well you studied them to see what they liked, how you could maybe get into their life a little bit more. So if we love God, if we truly cherish who he is and his son, shouldn't we be studying him through his word, knowing who he is? How about loving? How do you see your fellow church members? Do you see them as part of your family of the faith to be loved and cared for and ministered to? Or do you see them a burden? Or maybe just those faces you see on a Sunday morning. How can we love each other like we've been called to love each other? How can we care for one another like we can do that? How can we seek to be open-handed in our response to one another, opening our lives, our homes to one another? How about worshiping? Humans were made for worship. But this natural built-in drive and design to worship God has been bent and twisted, and so now we worship everything else we possibly could imagine. We worship all these different things, but God calls us back. Through the gospel, by his grace, he calls us back to now come back and worship him. So we need to be devoted to worship. Here at church, as we're devoted to gathering in our houses, as we're devoted to worshiping as family, working together in smaller groups of Christians you might know or from this, uh, this body, but we worship together and individually we worship God. How about proclaiming? When the gospel grabs hold of you, you have to tell someone. You have to share it's just too great not to. So this is a simple question I think we all need to ask ourselves. Who do we know that needs to hear about Jesus? The gospel-focused church is a devoted church. Because the gospel changes who we are. Fundamentally, it takes us in our sin and now brings us out of that and we're now in our relationship with our Father. We have taken from being sinners and now we're saints. We've been taken from orphans and now we're part of God's family. We're taken from being um, rebels and now we're worshipers and it changes who we are. And so when we see this early church and we see encouragement to follow suit, this is not about somehow earning our good graces before God. 
This is not about somehow being a good Christian, whatever that looks like. This is not a drive based on shame or guilt, like somehow you're not doing this. But this is a call to respond to this gospel that is not about you, but it's because of grace and how Jesus has saved us, how he has done everything we need for salvation. And we respond to that. And once we do, we're changed, and now we live out that new life. And if you don't know that gospel, if you're not a believer, if, you ha- if it hasn't grabbed hold of your life, I ask you to look to Christ. Look to him and see him who he is. And if you have questions, pull someone. Maybe the person who brought you this morning, maybe someone you know, or me, pull them aside and ask them questions so you can see Christ for who he is. But if you do know that gospel, if it has grabbed hold of your life, I think the call from Scripture is now be devoted to what God has called you to be. Because the world can be rocked by one uncompromising person. One person of devotion, just like God has used people of devotion throughout history to spread his gospel, to change the course of history, the world can be changed by just one person who's uncompromisingly devoted to him and his way. So think what would happen if we, as a church, were devoted together. Just dream with me for a second what God could do in our community, what God could do through the missionaries we send and support, what God could do through our just loving each other well as we seek to be devoted to the things He has called us to be devoted to. Think about how this church truly could be used by God in those ways for his glory, for his namesake, for the spread of his gospel. Let's be that gospel-focused, devoted church. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the gospel, the truth that you have 